Clay, I'm going to ask you something that sounds absurd, but I wonder. Mm. I wonder if Why there's stop any now? if there's any merit to this. I wondered if this should be an opener, if I should actually expand on this in the main in the main section. Mm. Is this uh, is this episode of Star Trek an allegory for when a guy goes camping with a bunch of his buddies and he can't find the time to rub one out that his fantasy just overwhelms him to the point <laughs> where he starts he starts to see women in the forest. He's desperately trying to find this woman. He feels relieved when she turns into the slug that he's been looking at instead at the very end. And then he walks off, and that's the end of the uh, end of it. It's not a metaphor for built-up sexuality, sexual frustration. Uh, that is an interesting read, I would say. <laughs> well, it's, it's a, much it's, more interesting than Reed himself. Hey, he didn't even didn't even. You know, if this had turned into Reed murders an animal and sort of gets off on it, I was also willing to go there for some kind of sexual metaphor. But I, I think, is everything okay at home? I think so. I've never, that- <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sneaking off to go hunting. That's what I'm saying. Archer, Archer seems a little bit pent up. He's out there. Well, you know, I'm just, I think what you're getting at, Wes, is even when you're in a committed relationship every now and then, you need to sneak off and go hunting exactly you, know what I'm saying? You, you need to mm. you need to spend time with imaginary people you created when you were five years old and think about what they're up to at this point and how they'd look <laughs> if they were with you in the woods in the middle of the night yeah let's yeah. uh let's take a break we'll play a quote from the episode and then we'll come back and discuss rogue planet i find this as distasteful as you do captain i'm just not sure how we can stop them they're well armed and they know the terrain i wouldn't want to try and take their weapons from them We have no right to in any case. What right do they have to come to this planet and shoot the locals? Hunting wild boar is one thing, but they're killing ascension species. Even if we stop them, their people will continue to come here and hunt. They've done it for hundreds of years. Unless we find a more permanent solution. All right, so Rogue Planet is the 18th episode of the first season of Star Trek Enterprise. It aired on March 20th, 2002. Teleplay goes to Chris Black. Story credit goes to Rick Berman, Brandon Braga, and Chris Black. And it was directed by old Star Trek standby Alan Croker. In this episode, Archer has visions of a mysterious humanoid woman on a rogue planet where it's eternally nighttime. Which is quite a setup. You know, this is... Goth um, planet. Goth planet. Um, I don't know. Do you, do you want to start? I, 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 I went into my uh, masturbation theory about what this episode is about and i don't know if i can really top that or if i if i if it arrived too soon um do you want to start off with what you thought about this rogue planet episode um you know i actually liked this episode uh it was i don't know if 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 i liked it because there was no superfluous b plot or if uh they managed to not um objectify to paul in any real way even though when they showed when they showed that woman in the in the forest i was like oh my god please don't let this to be some weird dream thing with to paul in a skimpy nighty one of those Um, scenes where the woman turns around and it's to paul's face all of a sudden archer's like oh right yeah yeah. Yeah, they didn't they didn't do that um i actually actually has the best line here where she's like i don't think if this was a scantily clad dude you'd be out there looking for him yeah which is is maybe my favorite part of the episode I, I actually thought this was going to be a read episode um, in a way that I was kind of 
excited isn't the right word, but I I feel like I learned Aroused. more about yeah. Uh, I feel like I learned more about Reed in that like five minute back and forth where he talks about being an Eagle Scout, sure, and then um, he's already uh, got the merit offers, badge, right? And then he offers to go hunting with the guys. I I thought, oh, okay. I mean, that's that's interesting. I I wouldn't have pegged him to do that and they're not talking about it as much as just showing it i thought it was going to be more of like a uh reed reed is the person addressing the the issues with the hunters kind of thing mm-hmm. um it didn't turn out to be that at all but um yeah i thought it was i thought it was pretty good it's uh it is a very i what i liked about it i think is that it was a allegory episode <clears throat> that didn't feel like it was it felt it felt like they were playing they were writing the allegory to the experiences of the world they've created and not necessarily just a this is why you shouldn't hunt story mm-hmm. um and also the solution wasn't to bloviate and uh monologue at this hunting team full of 80s movie gym teachers yeah with uh laser uh, gun equipment laser right tag it equipment. wasn't the answer wasn't to you know get in their face and 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 explain to them why uh hunting was bad or whatever uh they they found a solution that was fairly prime directive if you really want to get down to it where they didn't they didn't stop these people from coming down to hunt uh and they didn't straight up give the slug people guns yeah but they just at least leveled the playing field to the point where it wasn't going to be uh they they added an arnold schwarzenegger to this predator situation but honestly how long have they even the playing field right this is like an arms Uh, sure sure you know like that's i I find that actually kind of fascinating and that the the episode plays it off like it's a big win at the end and archer has kind of cleared the table and like even the stakes and everything but mm-hmm. i don't know how long he's actually done all those guys have to do is upgrade their sensor with the latest you know they get to the the the, the next town that they get in their rpg they need to go to the uh, the blacksmith and upgrade their weapon and they'll be okay at the, at the next well level. i even thought uh th- um when they at that that sequence at the end where they kind of got cornered by the slug that turned into the tree um, I thought they had already figured it out where they're like, well, let's just shoot everything right. and see what happens. <laughs> Very much the if we, uh, Jesse Ventura in Predator when he's like, where exactly. is it? And he's just got the, the yeah. minigun just to hit everything. Yeah. yeah, everybody just shoot into the wilderness and hope you hit something. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I, um, I like everything aesthetic about this episode. I like that it's kind of a fairy tale in some ways. Like sure. it's a very mm-hmm. strange plant. Like I love the... Even down to the um, the enter- the shots of the Enterprise over this rogue planet, which is all dark, and you can only see the silhouette of it is cool. Like that mm-hmm. felt really unique. That's something they've never done. I like the setting. I don't give a fuck about the science about how does life support on this planet. It's like that's irrelevant to right. me. It's just yeah, it's kind of a neat a neat place to be. <laughs> I did I did like the excuse where someone was like, shouldn't they all freeze? Shouldn't everything freeze to death? And like, well. It's really warm they've inside got their, the planet. They've got so. their hands over the uh, the open fire of the volcanoes, and they're just kind of yeah. warming them up in the uh, the fireplace. No speak of atmosphere or any anything else that is is, is life giving, but it's really warm at the core. So, just like us, um, yes. I, I think that like I don't mind the hunting allegory. I think the allegory is actually pretty bad. I don't think that it's. Um, I'm not as positive on it as you are. I th- I think the biggest problem here 
and that uh, usually goes to our main criticism, which is I'm surprised that you kind of like it, is that this is an episode where the entire construct is built on the idea that the episode has to be a mystery and we're going to write it like a mystery, even though there's no mystery sure. in this whatsoever. So sure. the big problem here is that the hunters, uh, when they go down and Archer sees this woman and he tells them about it, the the hunters at that point don't reveal that they know what's going on yeah. for no reason. And, you well, you could get around that by you go, okay, the hunters think that if they tell Archer what they're doing, he's going to disapprove and tell them that they can't do it. So they kind of keep it secret and that this is like a secret thing. And mm-hmm. then when 10 minutes are left in the episode, Archer's like, so you guys just hunt pigs out here? He go, no, no, we hunt uh, sentient uh, shapeshifters. Like we're, we're mm-hmm. out here hunting people. What did you think we were doing? And then at that point you go, well, the episode was never a mystery. It was only a mystery because these characters weren't revealing what they were doing for no good reason other than the plot demands that Archer be somewhat in the dark, uh, literally in this case, about what's going on. And I think that, yeah. I think that's kind of the fundamental problem with it is that the story, the plot of the story doesn't support the way that they want to tell the story. And so you end up with neither a good allegory because they don't have a chance to talk about what's going on and you don't have a good mystery because the mystery is very artificial. Oh yeah, no. I think they wasted way too much time in this episode. They they don't get to the meat of what's going on until like the last ten minutes. Yeah, um, they don't even uh, <clears throat> they can't because they are keeping what's going on as a mystery. They can't talk about the, the problem that they have until they find out what's going on, which doesn't happen until the last ten minutes. So they have a very kind of quick chat about it back on the enterprise or whatever even with the hunters um, before that where archer just they right. get the information from the hunters and the hunters just explain everything to them very casually very much like they're just like yeah we've, we've known this forever and go deal with it and then archer goes back on the ship and has that bizarre revelation that the woman is a woman from his past that he tells that to, to trip i i don't mm-hmm. know like i um I like everything about the setup of this. I just think that the writing, this is such a perfect example of an Enterprise episode to this point. Yeah. I feel like the, yeah. like the the bad Enterprise episodes because I, I think this episode is kind of bad, but it's it's dressed up in a way that it fits perfectly in what we've been saying before. It's like it feels competent while you're watching it. And right. then when it's done, you're like, well, why? Why was, why was that the case of right. anything? Yeah, yeah they, they seem to be... Uh the the mystery plot seems to be the uh one, a big crutch for this show because it is it is stuff that they're holding back that actually would be a lot more interesting and wouldn't feel as plotting if they put it up front because then you can actually deal with the situation and get interesting conversations and interesting actions out of the actual out of the fact that they know what they're dealing with and they know what the conflict is as opposed to just doing another episode where they're looking off and something moves in the darkness, which they tend, they seem to do a lot. Yeah, they do. Show. <laughs> they do. It's <laughs> a lot of like <laughs> things sneaking around the edges of edges of, uh, of visibility in the yeah. show. No one's, no one's got their contacts in on any of these <clears throat> missions. They're just kind of squinting at stuff in the, in the background and taking it on. Yeah. No, I, I mean, to clarify, I think what you're saying is just that the episode would have been better as a more out-and-out hunting allegory, which is like what's the ethics of the Enterprise actually interfering here. And they even, I think that's more interesting. And what's surprising to me is they get around it through a meeting where even T'Pol is like, you know, I'm for leaving people alone, but even this is, this crosses the line for T'Pol. Like she's like, we should not be hunting people. 
Uh, that was the surprising thing to me. It's just like the the hunting thing gets pushed aside for some bizarre psychological thing, which this is the same. I'm always going to go back to the pineapple thing. What this reveals about Archer is almost more interesting than what the episode wants to talk about, which is like, why is this woman in Archer's head all the time? Like, why is this the the dominant thing that these aliens are going to pick up on? And where does that come from? What does that mean for Archer and everything like that? Well, it's I mean, it's just something from... I, it's not in his head all the time. He 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 goes out of the way to say that it was something he hadn't thought about, and since he was like five. Sure, but why did these? Did they mention why these aliens seize on that? No. Why did the aliens just, even disguise themselves? Why don't they just tell Archer, "Hey, these guys are hunting us. Can you stop us? You seem like a good guy." Well, you know, it's it's difficult to to take what a giant slug monster tells you at face value. <laughs> the hunters um, seem more trustworthy. Yeah. But uh, I think I think the way to go might have been if they told you up front that these things that they were hunting these things that have uh, telepathic abilities and can make you see things and and, and whatnot. Um, <clears throat> but they keep the information that they keep close to their chest is the fact that they are sentient. So you have the the hunters explain what's going on. But the hunters treating these things as though they're just animals who have this defense mechanism where they can make you see shit. Yep. And that there's not a sentience built into it. So then so then you can deal with the act, the hunting element, and then what kicks it into high gear in the second half is when you find out that, no, these aren't just pigs that have uh, this weird mental blast defense system when they get scared or whatever. These are actually sentient creatures that are being hunted by uh by humanoids. Yeah, yeah. That that way you can have a conversation about everything. You can still do the weird I'm seeing a woman shit if you want. Mm-hmm. It's just you have a better grasp on exactly what's going on cuz up until I mean, excuse me. The stuff with the woman is really the only interesting is a stretch I think. Is the only uh action of the episode for the most part other than, other than um Chatting the with the hunters. Just kinda, yeah, chatting with the hunters kind of casually and then sort of just wandering through the woods. Yeah. And even they even uh, even when that one guy gets hurt and they bring him back to the Enterprise for Flocks to look at him, he I'm not really sure what we're supposed to learn from what Flocks tells Trip about the 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 cells changing. Just like I I get it. Yeah. I get it that they're that their shape changes, yeah. but it's not any sort of like it's not information that really adds anything at the moment. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. It's, I, I, I don't, I think the, the way that they play that scene feels like you're supposed to come away from that scene thinking, oh, what the hunters have been telling us is not entirely true. And I don't know how these, this thing that bit this dude is a shape changer. Yeah. Invalidates anything the hunters have set up to that point. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, I think it's, I, I like the idea. And um, I, I didn't hate it. I found it I, – I, you know, I, I don't know. I found it kind of I, – I didn't find it unenjoyable to watch. Mm-hmm. Like it, it was no – it wasn't any sort of revelation or anything. But I, I thought the I, – I liked the rogue planet idea. Yeah. Um, and I liked the idea of what these hunters were doing. And I liked the situation that they were they, – that it put Archer in eventually. But, yeah, I think that the time it takes to get there is just – way too much and they, they focus on the wrong things unfortunately yeah i yeah yeah i i guess i i guess i have some just 
fundamental issues with the way things break out here. Like I, I, it feels a lot like all of our past criticisms of Enterprise, where it's like there's a good few ideas stuck in here somewhere that mm-hmm. I feel like you could actually have written the episode about and had it gone somewhere. Like, um, you know, there's I, I feel there's a story here about no one. Archer is telling people an outrageous thing. You know what I mean? Like Archer, Archer <laughs> yeah. seems insane when he's talking right. about these things. And everyone's point is like, you're 50 million light years from Earth. What are the odds that there's a woman here in her negligee and that you, she wants to talk to you? And, you know, that's a weird line from the hunters there because that hunter knows exactly what's going on and he's clearly right. not hiding it. So why doesn't he say... Why, that is such an outrageous sentiment. He should go. The only explanation is it's one of these things. So therefore, yeah. tell me. And where there's it is. also the, it, there's no. Uh, you don't ever get the sense that the hunters are hiding that information. No, because like they reveal the, it they, casually. They're eating beans. Right. They're eating like tins of beans and being like, "Yeah, there's shapeshifters." Yeah, you don't ever get the sense that they are hiding it because they know what they're doing is wrong right. or something like that. Yeah. It's just they just don't. They just neglect to bring it up. Yeah, <laughs> in, which the, is in the one instance where it's clearly what's happening. Right, it's fine before that. You can kind of get away with well, they're just omitting information because they don't feel that they need to tell the enterprise about that, which is fine. But that's a situation where the weirdness is only one thing that it can possibly be. So they should talk right. about it. But Archer's right. the rest of the crew. You know, you could almost build an episode about, like, the rest of the crew having their own scene where they're like, has Archer, like, lost his goddamn mind? Like, what the hell is he talking about? Do we need to do something about this? Mm. The problem is it's so low stakes that they don't even need to relieve Archer because he's not his, – his belief is not causing any kind of turmoil on it. You know, Right. Like, that's a, I think that's a different episode. That's essentially the other episode where they go to a planet and they go crazy. Right, right. Well, if you – but if, if Archer – imagine if Archer had seen them and you focus on Archer um, being considered crazy by the crew. Archer's determination to stop the hunters becomes a very Archer story where he's pushing back against the Enterprise crew who are like the prime directive or whatever we're going to call it at this point doesn't allow us to interfere with what these guys are doing. But because Archer is the only person seeing these creatures and actually talking to them, he's the only one who thinks that he needs to do something about it. But there's no, mm. there's no conflict between anybody because they just go, oh, Jonathan – you're just fantasizing about things while you're falling asleep. Like that's that's all it is. And then he goes, yeah, maybe maybe that's the case. And so it's just a very, you know, to keep referencing the past episodes, it's a very low energy thing, like breaking yeah. the ice. And I was reading, um, this is just information you can do what uh, you want with it. But it's I was reading um, about the the backstory of this series. Apparently the writers that Braga and Berman hired at first, I didn't realize this, but the, remember the Jacques Matons, I've mentioned their names as writers a couple mm-hmm. of times. They wrote some of the low key mm-hmm. episodes that we liked. They wrote broken, breaking the ice and dear doctor and things like that. Yeah. They actually became producers on Mad Men. And after oh, they, no after they huh. leave this series, he has a bunch of other writers at this point who are writing on the show. One of them created the closer. Uh, and a few others have gone on to like other non sci-fi dramas that they've mm. gotten more famous for doing. Uh, they start getting fired and leaving the show around this point. And <laughs> they're getting replaced by people uh, like Chris Black, who's not a bad writer. But they start, uh, Berman and Braga start hiring genre writers, sci-fi experienced mm. writers. And so what you're seeing is that the early episodes, which had that really low energy that we were talking about, that it almost doesn't feel like a Star Trek episode, is those yeah. writers who were apparently unable to write sci-fi and Braga had to do a lot of rewrites on their early episodes because there was no science fiction part of to anything. Sure, But we sure. really are responding to the non-science fiction stuff. But now it feels like with these writers leaving and they're having to focus more on sci-fi stuff, 
it feels rote at this point. Like it's it's losing the interesting aspect that was happening earlier with the storytelling. And you're ending up with things like Rogue Planet, which is it feels like a staff under pressure to write something, just put a sci-fi angle on this and we'll see if it's good enough. And I, I think that it's they're competent enough to get it done, but at the same time, this feels like generic Star Trek and not in a good way, in my opinion. Yeah, I think if if that is the case, which is pretty interesting, actually, I, I didn't know that was that was going on. That's they set out with the, they set out with the op, their op, they've been interviewed. Braga, uh, Braga and Berman said that their interest is starting out was to write a human drama uh, Star Trek series, which is why they went sure. with people who weren't familiar with sci fi tropes. Didn't work out, I sure. guess. But yeah, uh, it's too bad that they that they had that they fired them because I feel like you probably could have molded that crew into to to get what you what you want i mean it's it's kind of an interesting maybe maybe that happens a lot i don't know but yeah. uh i i feel like with enough time you probably could have especially on a star into, trek show you got pocket. four seasons yeah. to get going you, you, you oh yeah you gotta get yeah, people, people don't start people don't start watching till halfway through season three anyway yeah um i would have yeah, been surprised no oh, sorry go ahead i was just gonna say i think this i think this episode is an interesting kind of crossroads for that uh, uh disconnect because I, I I think the uh the actual concept that they're working with is is interesting. But they they yeah, they put way too many uh um um what's the word? Art, artificial hooks to try and get you into what what is actually a pretty compelling discussion yeah. between uh these these points of views and this this planet and everything. And that's some that's something that I feel like you can spot a mile away and uh it's it's stuff that bothers me when reading uh, or watching anything because you can feel it's it's like a, I I always have a problem if you in most things horror movies especially but essentially across the board if there's a cop or investigator subplot because it's almost always bad yeah like and on Brightburn almost, our latest uh, Patreon movie. yes yeah yeah. And it almost never adds anything to the plot other than just kind of like giving you exposition and draw and drawing things out. And ultimately, the cops don't really play a huge part. Yeah. If you it, took it out, it wouldn't really change anything that happens. No, they do. And, the, uh, the the Kaiser Sose moment is nice because it happens at the end and it's a twist. But they're usually the, the 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 second act reveal where they figure it out for themselves is the cop figuring out two and two. He puts the pictures together or whatever and looks at it and goes like, oh, it's the same person. And then you right. go from there. Yeah. And ultimately, a lot most of the time or a lot of the time, those subplots end with the cop just sort of showing up to witness whatever happens yeah. in the climax <laughs> Maybe getting of the story. killed 50% of the time. Yeah, yeah maybe yeah. getting killed. Yeah. My favorite example, uh, I guess it's not my favorite example, but it's, it's the one that always sticks out to me is the, is the Michael Mann movie Collateral. Mark Ruffalo plays a cop in Collateral who is uh, trying to track down um, the the Tom source Cruise. of these, these murders that are happening in L.A., which ends up being Tom Cruise driving around with Jamie Foxx. And you spend a lot of time with him putting the pieces together, trying to track down Tom Cruise. And then he ultimately manages to get Jamie Foxx, and he's like, I'm a cop. I'm here to help you. And as soon as he says that, Tom Cruise kicks open a door, shoots him, and kills him. Yeah, yeah. And that's that's it. <laughs> yeah. He's just done. And you yeah. never see him again. Or the co- you never see the cops again. And you end up – and I feel like the another thing in the same category is this uh, artificial mystery where you're you're really trying to stretch – what people are interested in in your episode or in your story 
by adding a mystery and hoping people care about it. Right. Because unless mysteries only work when people care about what the answer is. Yep. And this is an example of they're, they're not changing anything as it goes along. He's not learning anything really as each each time the thing moves forward. You eventually find out what it is. And, and yeah, you're like, well, why didn't you just tell us that at the beginning of the story? It would have changed. It would have made everything a lot more easier to, to, to deal with. But it's artificial mysteries always bug the hell out of me because especially ones like this where it's we're going to have three scenes that are essentially all the same where he where your character sees some sort of vision and then uh the next scene he sees the vision again and then the third scene he sees the vision again but this time he gets some he figures out you know it's it's it feels very much like we don't have enough stuff to fill out the <laughs> yeah. story that we're telling, so we need to we need to hook people by creating some sort of mystery. Because who doesn't love a mystery? It, it's funny. It was um, the answer's me. I hate them. Not to distract you, but I wonder if I can coin this the the appear the multiple appearances right where he sees the woman, she doesn't say anything. He sees the woman, she says a little bit more, and this says a little bit more. Uh, I guess you could call this the police method of writing a chorus to a song which is to have a sentence but you say the first couple words and the second so don't stand don't don't stand stand so close don't stand stand so close to me so you just you just add a little bit more (laughs) you add a little bit more really good (laughs) a little bit more information each time i like that a lot that's really good that's a really good way to put it yeah that that's kind of what this is and it's just it's extremely ultimately ultimately from the first line you kind of know what the sentiment is (laughs) (laughs) so by the time you get to the end Singing oh, about Lolita so, for, for, for yeah, a couple minutes. Don't yeah, stand yeah. so close to me. Uh, of course, that's the only feasible <laughs> end to that sentence. Why didn't he just say that at the beginning? Yeah, yeah. That's the and like you were saying, the fact that it's a mystery destroys the Star Trekky value of this, where it's a debate about hunting because you don't have time because you don't know what you're doing. Archer doesn't seem to care about killing pigs. He has one line. He's like, "Yeah, we we outgrew hunting a hundred years ago or something." It's kind of novel that you idiots are out here hunting things and. Right. I, I feel there's there's room for that, and even you know to get super stupid about it. Like, is the I was under the impression that uh, their eating on the ship is done by a chef, and they're actually eating real food, right? Because they don't have replicators at this point. So, are they yeah, eating? No are they eating animals, and they actually have a problem with people killing animals? Because then it all just seems you know it's the, the episode itself doesn't have a stance on hunting and i don't i don't think star trek at this point has a stance on hunting uh and they uh they hunting went out of fashion 100 years ago on earth but the uh uh food industry complex the industrial is torture of animals still, yeah. yeah it's never been never been in better shape yeah <laughs> yeah have you ever gone hunting i have not um it's I don't know. It's just not something that I think would appeal to me. I have a hard enough time killing mice in my house. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't think I would. I would hold up very well in a situation where I had to actively shoot an animal. Yeah. No, we buy the uh, no kill traps so I can just strangle the mouse myself after. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, we. Um... Man, I saw this. So I we had a couple mice in the house, and I I was trying to get rid of them to to no avail, and I looked up this. Of, you know the most effective trap and it's this homemade thing where you take a bucket and you essentially put a, a piece of wood like a dowel through the bucket and then put a uh, put the dowel through a coke can yeah and then put peanut butter on the coke can so then the mouse walks out oh and you, oh, and you fill the bucket with water that's a part an important part i forgot <laughs> mouse walks out onto the coke can and then the coke can just spins 
because it's it's it's, oh, it's loose on the, dowel. on the dowel. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and it drops the mouse into the water, and then the mouse drowns. And uh, I saw a video of the person setting this up and it working, and then they just show like the aftermath, and you've got this bucket full of dead mice <laughs> with their little stupid ears like splayed out like mickey mouse floating dead in this bucket i was like i can't deal with this i think, <laughs> I think i've seen that channel there's a channel where this guy makes variations on um mousetrap like homemade mousetrap things and mm. he must have a huge mouse problem that needs something more, more yeah. than what's going on <laughs> there that yeah. the bucket <coughs> god excuse me just filled with dead mice. He leaves it for like overnight. Yeah, there was like, just, yeah. there was at least ten dead mice in there, and it's like if this, if you're doing this because you know it works, and this is like an example, yeah, then you must have a massive mouse problem. So much mice that eventually he has to remove the trap when the the fallen comrades are used as a, a ladder for the other mice to get yes. out, basically, and like escape. <laughs> yeah, out. yeah. No, I, I'm 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 too much of a bleeding heart to 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 do that. Like I, we have one, we have. I do give them a choice. We have a no kill trap and we have a kill trap, and it's up to them which one they choose. I right. let let God sort them out, as, <laughs> as the shirts say. I've um, never gone hunting either. I've, I mean, fishing, but fish don't seem to be considered animals. Um, I still, man, I I used to go fishing and I never had a problem with it, but I can't even do that anymore. I, I don't know. It's just, yeah, I don't know. I just, it's not, it's not my thing. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if I'd like to go hunting. I have a, um, like all I was thinking with, with the hunters here is that. The episode is so disinterested in the hunting that it doesn't even portray the hunters as unethical hunters because they eat the food that they're hunting. You know, it's right. not like they're just like um, predator See, aliens. I, I actually kind of find that interesting, though, because then it becomes the the question. The, they're not just villains, right? You know, th- there is a there is a gray moral ground here where you can look at them and go, well, to be fair. They're hunting, but they are they are eating what they're they're killing. It's not like they are uh, just trophy doing hunting it for sport. Yeah, um, but they don't. But then when they get into this other thing, not only is it a sentient creature, they don't explicitly to say that they eat those. Mm-hmm. So those are essentially just being done for sport. So then you know. So I, I I like that there's a gray zone, and it's not just big bad hunters out to to murder. Yeah, and, torture and hang torture rabbits. Yeah. yeah, no, I agree, and I. Because I, I think that the, the ethics of hunting are complicated enough where you could have a good Star Trek episode about Sure. That. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I'm actually kind of surprised they never touched on that before in Star uh, Trek. Yeah, I mean, they, uh, well, they, uh, you might not. There's a DS9 episode in the first season where an alien comes through the wormhole and befriends O'Brien, and he turns out to be a prey for this other hunter group that they sort of let oh, loose, and then they have to track him down. Interesting, yeah. And so O'Brien helps that prey get away by the end of the episode to... He he realizes that you know the prey has grown up and like his greatest honor is to provide a good hunt for these other aliens. So mm. O'Brien doesn't want him to die, but he just lets him go at the end of the episode. Sure, that's it. sure. Um, so that they, you can do stuff like that, and that's fairly similar an idea here, kind of like it's a archer evening the odds for an un, uh, unfair advantage in terms of this. Although the hunters seem like such nincompoops and bad at hunting in the first place that you, you wonder how effective they really are when that, yeah. that's their thing. That is, that is funny. Cause they do, they do show them eating what they're killing, but they also do kind of portray them as some like weekend warrior types. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's what I said. Cause they all, they all feel like, I don't know if it's, they, they're all the same kind of guy. Yeah. And they're, they very, very much have too. that very human. Yeah. Looking, yeah. The, I actually, when I, when they first showed them for a second, I thought they were Bajorans oh, yeah. because of the, uh, the noses. I thought it was like some sort of proto Bajoran thing. 
Um, but they they are all very much like that uh, central casting gym teacher type, yeah. where they're kind of like a you know a guy a guy in his like forties or early fifties who used to be in shape but is a little bit thick now. Yeah, yeah. Um, a lot of back slapping, saying "Good job, Johnny," yeah. and stuff like that. Exactly, yeah. exactly. They all have that same sort of uh, you know garage door hair, yeah. receding hairline. <laughs> Um, and the one, this one guy, the lead guy, sounds just like Nick Nolte. Yes, yes, he does. Yeah, and I couldn't every every line he was he was talking about. I I, I couldn't help but think of Nick Nolte <laughs> in uh, uh, Tropic Thunder when he's when he's talking about all the the shit that he had to go through when he took they took my hands. <laughs> yeah, I um, I don't know what it's called. I just know the sound it makes when it kills. Let's go to final thoughts about this one, um, and we'll read some patron thoughts and all that stuff. Because uh, we sound like we are, like I, I'll be interested once we get to final thoughts where you think that this one stands. So don't tell me yet, but we'll go through patron mm-hmm. thoughts and then we'll take it. So let's play a quote from the episode. We'll come back, read some patron thoughts, and give our final thoughts about Rogue Planet. A well-armed hunter was nearly killed today. It would be foolish to go into the jungle alone. I have to. She's chosen to communicate with me. I don't know why. But I don't think she'd reveal herself if anyone else was around. Is that your only reason for going by yourself? What? With respect, Captain, I wonder if you would be so determined to find this apparition if it were a scantily clad man. All right, everybody, thank you very much for listening. And thank you for supporting the show. If you want to support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash the Penske file. It's the best way to do so. A couple dollars a month, it gets you extra stuff, extra podcasts, there's behind the scenes stuff. There's all this sort of Discord access. You get a special Discord room that you can talk. And uh, special thanks as always. Go to and- uh, Alec DeWolf, Andrew Cherlog, Ben Douglas, Bradley Killens, Captain Brazen, Cardinal Doomsday, Chris Tinsley, Christian Michaels, Christian Pouch, Darth Moss, David Beardmore, David K, Dwayne Hackett, Art Johnson, Eric Santuan, HH28, Jacob123, Jay Keys Gamer, Joint Mango, Jordan Cooper, Kevin Lowry, Kevin Reyes, Kyle Bat, Mad Courier 6, Matt Cutler, Matt Houston, Matt Ross, Mike Burnett, Mike Harris, Nathan Elliott, Neil Brennan, Nick Sergi, Russell Elledge, Samuel Custer, Grim Santo, Sean, Stephen Minton, Tark Latif, Tom Housen, Vault 13 Hero. You guys are great. Thank you for supporting the show. Your support, your support helps us show or convince our families that we are not just screaming into a void. It's true. So we I appreciate should. it. <laughs> <My>, uh, <laughs> to, to bring it full circle, to tie into our uh, twice-annual sex session, I print out the uh, the Patreon receipts for Amy, and that really gets her going. <laughs> well, you know, my, my, my girlfriend has been, has been working from – she's just recently gone back to work, but she still works a lot from home. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, she moves from this room when we have to podcast – because I can show her how much that is actually generating money. <laughs> you built an extension. Otherwise, <laughs> <laughs> we got all this money. I'm going to build an extension on the condo. We'll see how it goes. Now, yeah, it's. I'm paying it. I'm paying it installments. Yeah, uh, it'll be paid off in about I don't know uh, forty years. I Extremely think. Extremely high interest. Long rate. after, <laughs> long after we've sold the place. <laughs> Guys, thank you very much. It's very kind of you to support the show. Patreon.com slash LipensKeyFowl. And as always, you can leave your thoughts about upcoming episodes. That work all right? Sorry, the computer a little jittery for a second there. All right, so you leave your thoughts about upcoming episodes, and then we read them on the podcast. So let's get through this. Matt Ross says, 
Interesting, uh, Rogue Planet. Interesting concept that is all the joy wrung out of it. It's so darkly lit and ponderous. Arch's mindset reminds me of Flounder from Animal House. You guys hunting or something? Jeez, must you stick your face into everything? I guess it's an anti-hunting message, but it's so damn heavy in the darkness and it's beyond boring and slow and lost. How is the planet without a sun warm? How is there plant and animal life without light? Don't ask questions. Wait a sec. A dream person doesn't address you by name. Come on, who wrote it? A planet of shapeshifters? You mean like Odo? Guess that report wasn't cross-referenced in any database. And the alien slug girl slithers off as we all do far away from the story. I did. Um, <clears throat> I, <laughs> I do like the, the uh, appearance again of Archer's I'm actually going to fuck you way of speaking. Yes. Where he's like, so uh, catch anything today? <laughs> like, uh, no, none of our sensors are working. Oh, yeah. yeah that's, that's weird. Well, uh, you know, best of luck, yeah. guys. Uh, hopefully, hopefully you get something real good. Reminiscent of his fusion comment of, how'd you sleep last night? Is that a good yeah. sleep? How'd you, uh, how, how you doing today? You, you know, I don't, the, the, I have no problem with writing that kind of scene like that. Art, I think that Bacula doesn't have the intensity or anger necessary to pull off the flip when that character is right. like, oh, fuck you. Yeah, how did you right. sleep last night? He's too nice, is I think is Archer's problem, really. Um Bacula just doesn't seem like he's able to play a completely I, I was actually thinking about like doing a thought experiment of like recasting the Star Trek captains. And if you cast the actors in the Archer role, I think we might have talked about this. I'm starting to think that Avery Brooks might be the best version of Archer in how he's played, mm. which is that he can pinball from cordial to angry very well and yeah. i think that archer is kind of written as that kind of a character yeah i would agree that would be that would be a good choice rogue uh Lat- what's wrong with my reading a latte librarian says rogue planet the beautiful woman from archer's childhood dreams telling him to never stop seeking what seems unobtainable puts this episode in manic pixie dream girl territory for me two out of <laughs> two sexy slugs out of five i was i was hoping that he was going to kiss her and they were going to do that thing where they like cut to a different angle and he's just tonguing <laughs> deep tonguing the slug monster <laughs> he's got that uh, slug goo just all over his face yeah yeah Stefan Minton, Rogue Planet. The problem is obvious. The episode presents the viewer with a mystery that has no business whatsoever being a mystery. When Archer encounters the woman for the first time, why did the Eskis not simply tell him then and there that the woman is the prey they came to hunt? You might think that they don't because the Eskis are worried that the crew of the Enterprise will object to the killing of such a creature. But later on, they're more than happy to divulge that information and do not even seem to entertain the notion that their hunt might be objected to. About the only thing I liked was the scene with T'Pol in Archer's tent. It shows how far Archer has come from wanting to toss her out of an airlock to seeing her as a trusted senior officer whose opinion is important to him. But one scene does not make up for the shoddy script, and therefore this one only deserves a meager two nightgowns out of five. Yeah, like imagine if they didn't realize they were sentient or something. You know, like until... Yeah, until this thing reached out to Archer and he was like, oh shit, these things are... These are sentient beings yeah. you're hunting. Yeah. They have feelings, man. Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's just there's conflict there that they right. don't go right. into. It's really interesting. Captain Brazen says, The exchange between T'Pol and Archer is nice as it shows the value he has for her as an officer at this point. That being said, what happened here? I found this episode to be especially helpful in redefining the word dumb. 
Please note that in the updated Webster's Dictionary, the definition of the word dumb includes two new examples. One, Captain Jonathan Archer, and two, the year 2020. You can also find Archer under the phrase fucking dumb as well. Why is Archer so determined to find this maiden? Has he been blue-balling it since the space talk? Why don't they masturbate in 20... Well, I'm not the only person who's been thinking about this, apparently. Don't they masturbate in 22nd century? You can check off Man's Fantasy Woman Fulfillment Dream Request uh, Quest episode off your list of writers, and I'll hit skip on rewatch. One manic pixie dream slugs out of five. The the weird thing is I, she's in her sorry. negligee. She's in negligee. Yeah. Like this is clearly a sexual fantasy that Archer had as a young uh, young man. Well, I mean, it's based off of that poem, so it's whatever he created in his mind from that poem. But also, I it worked, right? Her her plot worked. You mean? Yeah, it did. But so I, it, I think she could have just said, "Please help me, Jonathan Archer. I'm a sentient creature that's being hunted." And would have gone, "That's terrible. I'll help you." Yeah, I don't know. Well, <laughs> what's she? She chose chose the form of his destructor, and it happened to be a sexy lady. So yeah, yeah, it's it's just strange. Point extra G says that's a snore noise that I couldn't do very well. I started off well and <laughs> fell apart. Uh, this thing barely kept my attention. It's a complete, not a waste of time. The only interesting things are the rogue planet with an ecosystem and the lady being a person Archer imagined as a child. Nothing else good happens here. Vault 13 Hero, this episode goes, hmm, interesting setting. Maybe this will have a good, heavy story to blah at Warp 5. And not ju- uh, just not interesting to me at all in the, re- re- excuse me, the reveal of who the woman is that Archer keeps seeing is very <clears throat> underwhelming. The writers even go for the old, what should we name this alien creature? I don't know. Pick an animal and add fire as a prefix. Firewolves, genius. One fire platypus out of five. The firewolves. <laughs> they do go hunting the firewolves. Darth Mosk uh, says, wait, is New Zealand actually rainforest or is this a global warming in the future thing? I always assumed it was all Middle Earth. Not sure I understand the Eagle Scout badge dick measuring contest. Are the boar worms the same as those in Wrath of Khan? We didn't really talk about Reed. This is a good episode for Reed too. Like if you played Reed as more of a headstrong security officer who was wanting to kill things, this episode might have something for him. But he bizarrely... He's like, hey, I'll go hunting. I'm just not going to shoot anything. What what the fuck is the point of hunting yeah. if you're not going to shoot and anything? Also, and also, yeah, it, it is it is kind of weird that Archer is the focus of this because when they, when they get down, I don't know, maybe it's not, but it's it, it's weird to me that when they get there, Archer is already kind of uneasy about what these guys are doing. Yeah. And so the, he's just proven right by this race that proves to be sentient. Which, I mean, I, yeah, sure, whatever. But, you, I, yeah, it would be more interesting if Reed was like, hell yeah, I'm an Eagle Scout. I love hunting. Let's go hunting. And then Reed gets confronted with, I don't know, a pineapple with boobs, yeah. I guess. <laughs> and uh, the, the this sexy talking pineapple tells him that they're a sentient species. So he has to then yeah. rethink his approach to things. <laughs> we're vegetarians reed we like to hunt all varieties of pineapple nice pluck uh let's see here we read darth musk right yes we did i didn't click the button benjamin espinosa says if this were as an episode tied to the changelings of ds9 i could get behind it we know the founders sent out changelings across the galaxy imagine if the shapeshifters was actually lost from ds9's chimera that would have been a great tie-in. Instead, this is a anti-hunting episode with no real purpose. The allegories of modern-day safaris made sense, but unless you're a member of PETA, not very moving. The hunted aliens being telepathic and able to change their shape seems way too advanced for being outsmarted by pursuers with guns. Two bad childhood poems out of five. 
Neil Brennan says, Rogue Planet, meh. Cal Barrett says, Rogue Planet, <laughs> did Archer learn anything by the end of the episode? It's made clear that he's helping the slug because it looks like an attractive woman, but by the end of the episode, does this develop into a classic Starfleet mindset of protecting all life, or is he just hoping to bang the slug lady? It's certainly not an anti-hunting message because Archer is still fine with them hunting boar at the end. Much like the characters, the episode stumbles around in the dark for 45 minutes, occasionally brushing up against something interesting, mainly about how these 22nd century hunt humans are different from our usual Trek characters, such as Malcolm going hunting, but it never actually feels like it's making a point or that anything it's doing is intentional. After a decent opening of a few minutes, I spend the rest daydreaming about the Predator alien showing up and killing everybody one by one. Two out of five. Uh, that's it. Thank you, patrons, for all your comments about Rogue Planets. So you, you started off kind of strong on this one, Clay. I don't know where mm. your, your rating is going to end up on it. Um, I'm I'm super conflicted about this one because I think that it's in some ways it's maybe the worst episode that they've done so far. <laughs> but at the same time, it's dressed up nicer than a lot of the other episodes that are bad or skew bad are. So it, it's a question of how much you think the setup is going to cancel out the problems with the narrative, I guess. Right, um, yeah. And I, yeah. I don't know. Like I, The show is very good. Maybe this is a skill. The show is very good. It's stringing you along with a plot that doesn't go anywhere, but you don't feel 100% let down by the time that it's over. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's a really good way to put it. Yes, yeah. So what, what do you, yeah. I'm going to I'm gonna give it a two. I think it's a weak two. It's still not terrible. Like, nothing here is oh, catastrophic, boy. but I think it's a really bad two. Um, yeah, I'm probably going to give it a high two. Okay. Uh, just because, yeah, I think it's... I like the concept. I think this was, yeah, I think this was a, 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 a an instance of the concept and the potential being enough to kind of lift me through it. But then as soon as I start thinking about it, I'm like, yeah, it's, it's all kind of smoke and mirrors in this one. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think there's, there's a lot of potential there that is unfortunately uh, left on the table. It holds your attention because it's only on in retrospect that you notice it because the reveal is all in the last five to 10 minutes. So it's not like you spend the entire yeah. episode going like, what the the hell's going on? It's not, it's not so poorly set up that you're annoyed from the start of it. It's only annoying when you get to the end right. of it and you're like, what the, why, why did right. that happen? Yeah. Like uh, until they, it's all like uh, uh, hand of the writer stuff mm-hmm. towards the end. Cause as far as the setup and, and the action, it up until you find out what the reveal is, there's no reason to think that what you've like everything they've done to that point doesn't feel bad. It right. doesn't feel like poor writing because it's all, it's fine Un- until you get to the reveal and you go, wait a minute, why the fuck didn't they do that? You know, yep. it's so it's, it's another very well executed workmanlike uh, episode that just doesn't, um, doesn't come together the way it could have. Yeah. Yeah. That's it for Rogue Planet. Thank you guys very much for listening. We'll be back next with Acquisition. And uh, I think that's pretty much it. Is that a Ferengi episode? It is a Ferengi episode. Is it really? It is. No shit. Yep. So, but remember, Clay, they haven't met the Ferengi until TNG. So. Oh, I see. There's a whole setup. Um, Let's see here. That's pretty much it. Oh, I noticed. uh, Sorry. I I just remembered. I noticed they did the um, the the discovery. Let's spin the camera around the table while everybody talks. Shot in yeah. this one, where they were talking <laughs> yeah. when they were on the Enterprise, talking about getting the uh, suppressive chemical thing down. It's a good it's a good callback by Discovery to do that. Trek's Matisse's uh, essay on Picard season one. 
came out today, I think, or it came out the day that we're recording this. Uh, he mm-hmm. talks about the camera movement there. A good, a good video, I think. He, um, it's largely similar to all the points that we made, but I think it's worth it's worth watching. Uh, he gets more into the gets more into some like strong examples of when you can see things. Just because we can't do that really on the podcast, we can't pull up the video. Mm-hmm. We can't Joe Rogan and have Jamie pull something up for us. <laughs> um, that's it. Patreon.com slash the Penske file if you want to support the show. Otherwise, the page. Did you, did, sorry, did you see that that meme where someone put the Ducat one? Ducat. Yeah. yeah. Did we already talk we about did. that? We did. We talked about it. Oh, okay. was it? It's really When funny. did we talk like about it? Lot. We might have talked it about probably it. Probably on the last episode. Yeah. <laughs> it's very, if people missed it, it's Gold Ducat superimposed on the Rogan set, uh, complaining about the fact that 3 million Bajorans killed over a 50 year occupation is not really that outrageous of a murder right. rate. <laughs> um, so it's pretty fitting and a very good Ducat counter argument, I think, that he could have made. Yes. Thanks, guys, very much. Patreon.com slash The Penske File. Support the show there. Otherwise, ThePenskeFile.com slash links is where everything can be found. Radio Stars is back. We did those episodes. Uh, they'll keep coming. That's on YouTube. There's no more MP3 for it. And then, Clay, do you have anything you want to say before we go? Uh, Badass is back. We just had our first episode of season three where we talk about Shadow of the Bat, which is the first appearance of Batgirl. And uh, I believe tomorrow is... Uh, Rotten Horror Picture Show coverage of Texas Chainsaw oh, this, Massacre. It'll be already is, out because this is going out Thursday. We have a little bit of time. Here. Oh, God. What? I, I feel like I'm living in a temporal cold war here. I know. It's that Mr. Show pre-taped Colin Joe sketch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you wanted to talk about Rogue Planet Clay, we should have talked about it last week when we were talking about acquisition. Yeah. Well. Uh, yeah, so uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre is out from Rotten Horror Picture Show. And uh, yeah, in the following week, we're on an alternating schedule with... Rotten Heart Picture Show and Badass. Yep. So the next Badass will be uh, next week. Both of those still have MP3 feeds, or you can watch it on YouTube. So whatever you'd prefer to do. Thank you very much for listening. We'll be back with Acquisition, which is the next episode in the Ferengi return, or are introduced, I suppose, semi, semi-introduced. Um, that's it. Thanks very much for listening. We'll technically, technically, they met the Ferengi in 1945. You actually remembered that. That was going to that was going to be the trivia that I was going to ask about uh, DS Nine with the Little Green Men episode. I assume you're talking about. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah with uh, where they go to how Roswell. Could I for, how could I forget so many cigarettes? <laughs> it's good because uh, Braga was going off on a tear. I was just reading interviews about him, but he calls um, he has a good term for uh, fan, continuity pornographers, people who are just like <laughs> very invested yes. in the continuity. And he says, "Listen." Mm-hmm. They already met the Ferengi in 1945, so you can't tell me that anything we're doing here is, is off the wall. It's a good, it's good defense. I think it makes sense. Yeah. If you're going to get mad at Enterprise, you have to get mad at DS9. So no one wants to do that. Guys, thank you very much for listening. We'll see you next time.